Welcome to Total Convexity, a weekly financial podcast that caters to professional finance individuals, high net worth investors, family offices, and other sophisticated financial professionals. Join our hosts, hedge fund manager Jim Wang and Henrik Neohaus, as they explore the interconnected world of global macroeconomics, central banks, and capital markets. Comprehending the intricate web of global macroeconomics, central bank policies, and capital markets isn't just an option, it's a necessity. Whether you're a chief investment officer, financial analyst, entrepreneur, or simply someone curious about how the global economy and capital markets function, this podcast serves as your compass through the intricacies of the global financial landscape. In each episode, we will delve deep into the influential factors shaping our world, from global economic trends and central bank policies to capital markets and trading strategies. We will demystify financial jargon, clarify complex numerical data, and provide you with insights from experts in the field. I'm your host, Henrik Neuhaus, and this eighth episode of Total Convexity is being recorded on November the 21st, 2023. Joining me is my co-host, Jim Wang. I'm glad to return with this eighth episode of our podcast series. In the first episode, we discussed our investment and analytical framework, and we recommend new listeners to start out by reviewing our first episode, as the explanation of our framework lays the foundation for later episodes. Since then, we have discussed interest rates, the US dollar cycle, gold, fiscal and monetary policies, liquidity, and most recently, we discussed the correlation between stocks and bonds. Jim, as 2023 is inching towards its end, I think it may be useful to discuss your market outlook for next year. What do you think 2024 will give us, Jim? Um, Hello, everyone. I'm glad to return to this new episode. Uh, Henrik, I think that's a um, good idea, probably a good time to tie everything that we have discussed together. Um, and I hate to discuss calendar-based outlook because we do not tie our horizons and outlook to calendar. Uh, and our views are dynamic uh, and they are not, we do not have a deterministic views on the market. And, and our views always evolve based on how the underlying forces change. And therefore, I'm, you know, I, I hesitate to give an outlook for the entire year and definitely not that year and target, which I think is not useful. However, I think it's good to lay out our current thinking uh, based on the information that is available to us and how that it can evolve if the underlying driving forces change. Um, what do you think, Henrik? Okay, sounds good. Uh, before we start, just a little housekeeping note. So this broadcast, or this podcast is a combination of this week's and last week's. And we will return again with our next episode after Thanksgiving, the first week of December. So Jim, why don't you share with us your 30,000 foot big picture views? Jim? Uh, yeah, sure. So I think we will talk about different time horizons and uh, I'm just summarizing here because a lot of them we have discussed them and so it will sound redundant to deep dive into the details. Uh, first, we think that, that we probably at the, um, you know, the beginning 
uh, or the second episode of the long-term inflationary cycle turning to the upside. Uh, and uh, the last one that we saw uh, was the, in the 1970s. Uh, and uh, we think that the deflationary forces in the past 40 decades probably is coming to an end. And uh, then we will have a higher inflationary uh, time period in the future. Doesn't mean that this is for sure, but the underlying drivers point towards that direction. Uh, and uh, embedded with, you know, so I think that's the, uh, that's the uh, longer term um, uh, views. And um, then we have a five and 10 year kind of a market economic cycles. Uh, and uh, that's the market, market cycle that we're familiar with. Uh, I think we are coming towards to the end of the market cycle. Um, you know, if you consider pandemic as an uh, kind of an outlier, external uh, kind of exogenous shock, then I would say this is marked the end of the market cycle that started from the Great Recessions in 2009. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of five to 10 year kind of market cycle views, right? And I think we're towards the end of it. Now, if we narrow down towards that, the end of the cycle can last for a few years. Uh, and based on our readings, uh, we think that the recession could be imminent uh, that could happen as soon as in the next few months and quarters. Um, so that's kind of a, you know, kind of a very brief summary. And then you tell me, you know, what direction that you want me to go. Right. Well, this is interesting because for some time, for a while, since say 2021, uh, many people have said that a re recession will be upon us soon. And but by now, most have given up on their on, on this hypothesis. So and the prevailing narrative now is one of a soft landing. Inflation has come down and the Fed is probably close to the end of its hiking cycle, something which presumably should be good, should be good for both the economy and the markets. You, Jim, however, are sticking to your guns. Could you please explain to us why you believe that a recession could be imminent, Jim? Um, yeah, Henry. So I would say, you know, the reason why in 2021 a lot of people think a recession could be imminent, primarily because of two things, right? One is I think that the stock have a significant decline. Uh, and uh, that's the first thing. And the second thing here is that, you know, a lot of leading indicators people were watching already turned down big time. Uh, and, uh, and now people turn around, ironically, is I think you know, at the time that where the probability for recession to happen is a lot higher than before, it's because the asset price has come back, right? Uh, and uh, and at the same time, people have been waiting for this for a long time, and it looks like economy is still very resilient, right? Uh, and if we look back um, in the history, um, what we have experienced is nothing more than normal. It's very normal. It's uh, um, you know, typically with the Fed hike interest rate, um, you know, stock uh, kind of have a drop, but not so significantly because typically the rate hike was slow, the P adjustment was slow, plus economy was still growing. And, uh, you know, once the Fed hike uh, for, for a period of time uh, and then pause, and then that's typically, you know, we have a monetary tightening uh, already work in the economy for quite some time that it can range 12 months, you know, 24 months. Uh, and uh, um, and then um, fast start to cut interest rate 
uh, right at the time that the recession kick in, right? So if we follow this timeline, we are not, you know, kind of, uh, you know, far away from that. Um, and, uh, but we are just not following this simple kind of analog, like a lot of people say, right? We look at the underlying uh, kind of the, the cause and the underlying forces of the cause and effect, right? The tightening monetary conditions is not something that is just a you know theoretical theory. So what we are watching here is we watch a number of leading you know leading economic indicators. What are they? And they have a long lag. They have long as leading indicators. I mean they have a long lead. They lead right. So the lead time really varies right. Then we look at uh, coincidental data to see what is happening right. Uh, I would say if we look at our, lead, our leading indicators, typically construct a lot of them start with the financial conditions, right? Say for example, the change of the investment grade or you know or the, the grade bond, right? Um, and uh, we look at a change of the magnitude of the yield. Uh, we change the mortgage spread uh, because that is kind of the market market. We see what's the size of the jump, right? When we see a big size of the jump. Uh, based on our historical kind of, uh, you know, models. And then we say that likely going to have impact on the economy. And uh, what's the impact? I mean, typically started with housing. Now, there we also follow a sequence. We follow the housing permit, right? And then the start, right? Because that directly have impact on the construction workers, right? And all of the whole things that are associated with housing. Uh, you know, when people buy by houses, they there's a, a whole thing go with it, right? Uh, remodelings and uh, uh, and also the the gadget, you know, appliance, home appliances, and all these things. And uh, and uh, um, so so the housing is an important component of it. And in the past, you know, when housing price was going higher, interest rate was not that high. People actually were able to take money out, um, you know. Uh, uh, home equity loans and etc. Those are all stimulative, right? So housing is an important component. And then you look at auto, and you see, you know, what's happening in the auto industry. Uh, and uh, um, you know, the sales has come down significantly. The the the, the secondhand, uh, you know, cars price has collapsed. Uh, and obviously, there's still a little of you know supply constraints. You know, new car sales, you know, price uh, seems to continue to be supported, right? Um, and then, because all the fair tightening go through the credit, um, you know, channel, right? So you want to see um, the bank is tightening lending standard, which they have, right? And historically, to when, when they reach to that level, it coincide coincided with the uh, with the uh, um, with recession. Uh, and then you see the demand for the loan has come down, right? So if you look at a survey, there's a slew survey a lot of people talking about, which they have, right? Um, and uh, then we also look at, uh, you know, a lot, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, industry, we all focus on ISM for the right reasons, right? Because these survey typically lead as well. I think one thing that is unusual about this time is that because of pandemic, that's distorted a little bit of a sequence, right? In the past, typically, when you see manufacturing going down like this, when you see the um, global you know, trade going down like this, and typically we are at the verge of a recession and the service will follow. Um, and this time is, I, I think there's some something, you know, different because of this pandemic. So I think during pandemic time, people were buying, people cannot travel, so they bought a lot of things. And uh, 
um, because of supply constraints, you know, the, um, um, you know, so there's a lack of inventory, right? So, so the, um, the, the, you know, the manufacturers, store standards, they try to build up a big inventory just in time for the reopening. Uh, however, after reopening, you know, they, um, uh, people start to pick up a more kind of, uh, you know, consumption in the services area, right? So I think you see the big kind of, uh, you know, drop of order to the, to the inventory, right? Um, and once that inventory is working out, you have another kind of restocking, and which we see help to boost up um, kind of, uh, you know, economy a little bit. So, so I think there's some, something going on there. But if you look at a general trend, I think the ISM and uh, um, is 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 you know is is poised to rolling down uh, for the manufacturing and the services turning down as well, um, and uh, um, you know so if you look at all these things and then I think what, what you know once we once we moving ahead I think you know you know you know kind of a recession watching is uh, <laughs> is a very difficult game as you see. Uh, and uh, I think getting time right is actually more important than getting you know the view right uh, because we as a financial you know you know as as we in the market we do not live in the eventuality we cannot say eventually this is going to happen we actually do need to pinpoint when it's about to happen uh, and um, and we watch a number of this kind of data does not guarantee things is going to happen but. Uh, is it's almost like you're driving your cars or maybe your airplanes, right? And you have different kind of signals and the indicators and showing you some of the dangers ahead. It doesn't mean it will occur, but uh, but it gives you cautions, right? Uh, and um, now we actually see that we are inching towards closer to that. Um, and that is more employment. So we have expecting, you know, softness on the, in, the, uh, in the employment uh, in the labor market, we are actually very surprised for the resilience of it. Uh, and uh, obviously, I think we agree with a lot of pundits' assessment is that because um, you know it was so hard to hire people during the pandemic, so there is a labor hoarding mentality of a lot of employers. Uh, even in face of the you know some of the difficulties, they do not want to let people go. Uh, and uh, uh, but we see, you know, our, 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 you know, we have seen like, uh, you know, before people, you know, um, kind of fired a full-time job, they typically will cut down the hours worked and uh, they will cut down the part-time, you know, workers and et cetera. And those typically lead, right? Um, and we have seen, we have seen that. And uh, in the most recently, we actually see the unemployment rate start to tick up and uh, it's actually higher than the historical six months moving average. And historically, when that happens, and uh, we would be entering recession, I'm not saying that you know this for sure is going to happen. I'm just saying, in historically, this point towards to the economic weakness, not the other way around. Um, similarly, we see continuous you know jobless claim uh, is perking up. Um, it looks like it's going to start to go higher, uh, and uh, and typically once the continuous job jobless claim go higher, that basically indicated people who lose the job, you know, was not able to find a job uh, quickly. Uh, and that's why the continuous claim are climbing. Uh, and the initial jobless claim also show, uh, you know, signs picking up. These are the, you know, most real-time job as much, you know, as, uh, uh, as much retail, retail, you know, real-time as you can get.
because this is a weekly kind of release data. And obviously, we watch them closely, and I think it doesn't mean we are not draw conclusion here is, you know, for sure, right? Nothing is for sure, but we are watching the incoming data, either confirming or negating our views that uh, that, um, that the recession actually could be uh, imminent. Uh, another one, I think this is, you know, that's, I think this is a very good episode to tie everything together uh, because we do mention that we have some market-based indicators, right? Our market-based indicators, there is two types. One type is more kind of a reversal and that's a long-term kind of, a, you know, kind of indicators looking at things at the extreme and, um, and we were approaching the historical extreme and the poise to reverse. And the other one is, you know, it's, um, it's, it's also reversal. It's, 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 it's on a historical stream, but it's reversing. And uh, and uh, we we talk about that uh, historically uh, when that happens and uh, it points to a recession. <laughs> that is the um, the uh, the bull steepening uh, of the curve. So when the two years start to roll over to the downside, two-year yield, meaning the yield peak, and they start to roll over to the downside, uh, which is our base case. And by the way, if things, if the price action change, we change. But uh, but so far, our base case here is the two years rates has peaked. Um, and uh, and if you look at the curve, we also think the curve um, having you know you know kind of uh, consolidating in the reverse inversion uh, kind of area for quite some period of time. Uh, now we think that the steepening is going to continue. Um, so. So, so historically, when that happens, typically is the recession. Why? Because people anticipate the Fed would cut interest rate in terms, you know, during the during the facing of the economic weakness, right? And uh, short rates fall faster than the long rates. So we are watching that closely. Obviously, this is still at the very beginning, and all these things can reverse. Um, so we can, like I said at the very beginning, we do not have a deterministic views. Um, our views will change, but uh, based on all this, it points to, you know, recession could happen um, very soon. Okay. Now, before we get to your outlook for the different asset classes, could you just say a few words about liquidity? I mean, we discussed liquidity in the past, but how do you think liquidity will impact the pricing and the asset markets in the immediate right. future? Right. Um, and Henrik, that's very important because the the economy does not equal to the capital market. They are very different. They are just one of the variables, one of the factors, and uh, they have more impact on rates because of the reaction function of the central bank. And the equities have uh, different uh, factors that influence that, right? Um, but among all the factors, liquidity is the most important factors that impact all the asset classes, like we have mentioned before especially the financial financial assets like equity and bond. And uh, the economic development, they actually just impact on the uh, distribution of the pressure of the liquidity of different asset classes, okay? So if we look at the liquidities, and I would say the general picture for the liquidity has been tightening because of the big issues of treasury bond and also Fed um, QTs, right? But, um, um, but the, this liquidity picture, this is not linear, right? And we have to navigate through this. Uh, and uh, it's not easy. Um, and, uh, you know, once you look back, you see, oh, this happened and that happened. 
they can explain that. Um, and uh, but rather, I think it's more useful is look forward into the future and see how that can change. What we can see here is because of the QR, you know, we, we discussed this in uh, one of our episodes about the QRAs, uh, liquidity, so listeners can listen to the update on the liquidity, where basically um, the Treasury, Janet Yellen, has chosen to issue uh, more debt uh, via T-bills, okay, uh, rather than coupon bond, and that alleviate the liquidity pressure. Uh, and uh, also, um, we talked about there is there was you know more than two trillion of the reverse repo, uh, which is money of the money market funds parked at the Federal Reserve. Okay, when the money is at the Federal Reserve, um, and uh, that is you know not entering financial system, and uh, hence you know that is not positive for liquidity. When they leave the Federal Reserve system and entering the financial market, that is positive for liquidity. So in the past. You know, um, um, for five, you know, five five months, right? We basically have seen a significant decline of the reverse repo. Now we have about about a trillion. Uh, our estimate is that this uh, kind of uh, you know decline of the reverse repo is about two hundred billion per month. Um, so we are in the middle of it. Um, I would say in the next few months, right? It will drop to um, you know in four months, right? It will goes down to two hundred billion, right? Around that, um, that continue to support the market, okay? Uh, and so I would say the liquidity picture in general was tight, was tight in the in you know uh, you know in tight, but in the near future because of the QIA, you know you know treasury maneuvering of the coupon issuance. And also the depletion of the um, of the reverse repo, um, the liquidity actually was supported. So I think the asset prices can actually support it during this time period of time. Um, and uh, beyond that, uh, I would say liquidity picture will start to tighten pretty quickly uh, once we drain uh, this reverse repo facility. Okay, so. Okay, now tell us well, what you think about the different uh, major asset classes going forward. Yeah, so let's start with the race, and I always start with the front race uh, of the Federal Reserve, you know, kind of a policy. Uh, it doesn't mean that I can handicap the next policy, you know, meeting, which I think is not important anyway. In my view, I think we probably have reach the terminal, uh, uh, you know, kind of a rate. So essentially, Fed has been pausing interest rate hike for quite some time, right? If they do not hike December, and that's probably is the end, we have reached the end of hiking cycle already. Um, I, th I do think the possibility for them to hike uh, in December has diminished significantly because of recent uh, inflation data and, uh, and employment data. Uh, and uh, obviously that can also change because I think one of the reasons that they did not hike uh, last time is because, um, you know, the, the rise of the long race and the decline of the stock market was doing the job, tightening job for them. Now all that have been reversed. So we have a significant decline of a bond yield. We have, a, you know, big rally of stock price. Financial condition have been, have, has been easing. Um, so, so I think Fed is facing, you know, relatively easing financial conditions at the same time uh, that uh, that uh, underlying data 
it's um, you know it was pretty you know start to show pretty weak. I think facing these options and um, um, I would say that uh, um, you know the probability to, to hike um, is have already significantly diminished. But uh, one cannot rule out you know whether they have a you know a final hike you know because of the financial conditions, which I do not think is uh, the probability is high, but it can happen. But in either case, I think that if that happened, I think probably it's the last hike anyway. Um, and uh, if we are right about the economic projections. So in the end, it's not what the Fed you know, will do, uh, want to do. They do not have uh, a kind of a determined, you know, predetermined kind of a, a plan in their mind. Rather, they are following the data, uh, like, you know, following the data as they, uh, as they see. Um, so... So I think if, if I'm right about this, I think the short race two years, you know, may may fluctuate a little bit, but I think it's uh, we have all, we probably have already picked out, um, and um, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and 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 if the economic data, you know, continue to be weak, if our if our you know uh, readings about the projection of the inflation to coming down, uh, economic slowing, then I think interest rate may. Uh, have already peaked during this cycle across the curve, and the curve may start to uh, steepen. So in this case, um, I I think the um, the two twenty four, you know, uh, treasury probably will have uh, you know um, will perform uh, much better than the other asset classes. Uh, and if you look at the relative relative valuations between um, you know treasury and equity, the risk premium uh, for the equity is very high. Right. So and then we can talk about the stocks. Right. Um, you know, I, you know, that's, so the stocks right now, I mean, the forward earnings price for, you know, the earnings to, to grow, you know, you know, 10 to 15 percent. Right. Uh, and uh, that is basically pricing reacceleration of economic growth. Right. And uh, I want to say if we have. Even if we have a soft landing, right, like uh, you know zero earnings growth, I mean they're still overpriced for by ten percent, right? And if we have recession where earnings can decline average twenty percent, um, and that means that uh, you know by earnings by adjusting earnings, right, you can go stock can go down thirty percent. Um, and uh, if you adjust the risk premium, and that will give you another you know ten to twenty percent of decline. So I would say is not unimaginable for a stock to drop by you know 25 to 50 percent uh, during the recession given uh, the evaluation and situation that we are um, they were facing right now um and then what else so currency um you know we talked about this in the past as well and typically the u.s dollars um will start to weaken once people um, realize that the Fed is, you know, is, um, is, is, has arrived at the end of the hiking cycle, right? Uh, and, the, and the, but during the risk off uh, situation, uh, you know, dollar will return to be safe haven, right? So we talk about the dollar smile. Typically, dollar is weak. Uh, dollar is strong. There are two scenarios. One is the U.S. economy really, really accelerate and outperforming the rest of the world at a significant margin, right? And during that time, uh, dollar will uh, dollar will rally. I would say we have seen this uh, in the past 
um, you know, since you know, since 2021. Uh, and then the second, you know, another tale is like during the deep risk off, right? And dollar will rally. And uh, the other during the other moderate economic scenario in between, you know, dollar will be soft, right? So so that's why we have a dollar smile, this work uh, to describing this, right? So I think I think the US dollar. Um, you know, may we, you know, may weaken a little bit more, but I do not think it will significantly weaken from here, because I see there's not a much divergent kind of uh, trend here uh, to argue the rest of the world is actually doing better than the United States uh, supporting this thesis. So, so I, I, I would say it's more kind of U.S. catching up with the rest of the world is slowing down, therefore reversing the stronger, stronger trend of the U.S. dollars. And uh, if I'm right about the recession and the asset class decline, I think at a certain point, the US dollar will start to strengthen. Uh, similar story can be said for gold. We talk about, you know, there's other components for factors for gold, but from the monetary policy perspective, gold typically will start to rally uh, once on the hiking cycle, once it anticipates the end of the hiking cycle, which I think is already happening. Uh, and uh, but if there is a liquidity uh, event, uh, and especially after gold has rallied significantly higher level, then gold is is prone to be liquidated uh, when there is a, when, when there is a big decline uh, of the asset prices and the deflationary shock. Um, so I think that can happen in the middle of the year. Um, I you know sometime you know if. The, if the uh, hot landing scenario materialize, um, and uh, we have to watch how, you know, that. Uh, in terms of industrial commodities, and obviously there's a supply and a demand, and I would say, you know, the grain agriculture sector is very interesting right, than the rest of them, simply because it's impacted more by weathers and those other things, right? Um, but if you look at the industrial commodities like oils and coppers and et cetera, um, I would say from demand perspective, um, they will probably be weak, right? If, if our outlook, you know, proved to be right. Um, and obviously there could be a supply shock more, you know, from oil perspective, if um, there's a geopolitical escalation and tensions, et cetera. But that tends to be short-lived. Uh, in addition, any, I think at this point of cycle, any spike of commodity price Due to geopolitical, uh, due to geopolitical um, intention, um, actually is not inflationary. It could be deflationary because um, this is from the supply shock, and uh, it already created more constraints, more strains for people spending, um, as they are already uh, pretty tight. So the the higher commodity price will constrain people spending in the other areas. Um, and I would say, you know, uh, from the, you know, can the commodity have uh, price have, uh, you know, go higher, you know, sure. But, uh, but from the intermediary cycle perspective, um, this is not time to be super bullish on commodities. Um, now, I, I think we talk about these kind of views. Just remember, this is about cyclical views, right, uh, to play out. If I look at a very short term, uh, you know, like I said, I, I think the liquidity could continue to be uh, supportive in, uh, in the very near term. Uh, at the same time, I think 
on the equity market, people were pretty um, optimistic because you know the the um, the the econ data in haven't fallen out of bad yet, right? And at the same time, people think that the Fed is going to um, not only pause but cut interest rate. Uh, and uh, um, I think from positioning perspective, uh, it also you know rally back uh, from very oversold levels. Um, and uh, and also this is uh, you know. Uh, the you know end of year seasonality right and uh, presidential election cycle typically during this time is bullish right you can tie all these things together the very short term I mean I you know it, you know things things, things happens every day but uh, but I would say in the very near term I think it's it's close to the exhausting point in the next few days probably probably will pull back right uh, and then I probably I think it can rally into the beginning of the year and even sometime beginning of the year. And then I think you need to be very cautious um, when the, you know after after that. Um, obviously, you know we can change our views in between if we see something different. But this is what we are seeing at this particular point of time. Okay, thanks. Uh, this was a very comprehensive overview, and a bit of a contrarian take on the on on the markets. Um, so talking about being a contrarian, I think that you have two special cases, two idiosyncratic opportunities that you are thinking about them. Could you expand on that, please? Um, yes. So basically, the, you know, the, the the financial assets are highly correlated, right? Especially the risk asset, right? Um, and uh, that's why diversification within the same asset classes, you know, offer you, you know, less benefit. Uh, however, uh, from time to time, uh, there are uh, some sub asset classes where the their correlations are very different than the rest of the market. At a certain time, it doesn't mean they are always the case. I would think one is Argentina and the other is China. So um, in both cases, I think you know we require for each topic require a separate uh, you know kind of a podcast for us to discuss them. Um, but a very, very briefly, uh, we can touch upon this, you know, right now, is that basically is the election of Argentina, we think, is a game changer. Um, and um, uh, the problem for Argentina is a classic uh, problem of MMT, meaning you print a, you meaning that uh, in order to buy the vote, you pro promise people a lot. In order to stay in power, you promise people a lot and you spend all the money. And because you do not have all the money to do the spending, and oh, by the way, all those money, when you spend it by the government, and they can only create a short-term impulse. Um, it will be gone once the stimulus is gone. In order to keep the growth, you have to spend more and more and more in order to keep the growth momentum. And because of your spending is not productive, and that will result into inflation because the amount of spending, um, people's spending power increased. However, the amount of the goods and the services are constraints. You do not create an amount of goods and services because of a lack of a productivity. Uh, and uh, and uh, now, if this happened, if the United States were emerging market country, uh, if dollar were not reserve currency, 
um, the U.S. dollar, U.S. you know, and United States will be um, next Argentina, right? But U.S. dollar, U.S. U.S. is the reserve currency, and the U.S. dollar is different than any other time. This can buy the United States time. Um, versus the other emerging market, the consequence for them is immediate, right? So, um, and that's why Argentina have a high inflation uh, and uh, and the poverty. And Argentina used to be the richest countries, one of the richest countries in the world. Um, you know, in the past, people see as rich as Argentina, right? Uh, and uh, Buenos Aires used to be used to be called the uh, Paris of the South in the 1930s. Um, and I would say the um, Millet, right? Uh, and uh, he is a radical right, right? So he want to stop. He want to stop this, right? And uh, uh, want to tie uh, currency into the U.S. dollars, reduce the footprint of the government, uh, and reduce the government spending and all this, right? Um, and I will say this is uh, going to be easy. This is going to be extremely difficult to change. Um, and uh, you and I can dig a lot of, into the details of this um, because we do not have time to cover the whole thing. Uh, and in addition, you know, uh, his party only have, um, you know, 15% of the seats of the Congress, right? And how hard he can push through things um, is a question mark. Um, but I do think it will reflect the mentality of the people in Argentina, right? And uh, it's probably just a beginning. Uh, and I think any positive changes in a country um, that, uh, you know, that has been... Um, uh, in such a misery for such part of time will be a relief. So I consider this is a very long-term kind of story and to play out. Obviously, we can never un underestimate how politicians can mess up things, right? <laughs> so, so and this has happened. The hope has uh, has has kindled before and died right in front of our eyes before, right? So, so we know uh, for sure. We do not know for sure, but I think this is a very positive uh, kind of development. Um, the other one is um, is China, right? And uh, I think China will not call, we may, the Chinese asset may not correlate too much to the United States and the rest of the world. It's because the, um, you know, I think the Chinese cycle is, you know, is kind of uh, decoupled uh, from the rest of the world. Because of this recent kind of supply chain things, you know, the trade wars and all this. And um, if you look at, you know, kind of a monetary policy is there. China is easing monetary policy, easing the physical policy, and the rest of the world is tightening, right? China is the, is, is the major economy. That is easing. So if you look at our framework that we're using, fiscal and monetary policy, and, um, and that's positive uh, for both economy and also for the asset, particularly positive for the asset prices. Um, and another reason is that the positioning is being has been washed out. And I think it's very contrary in the sense nobody wants to invest in China. Um, China has been called uninvestable for two years now. Uh, and um, um, I think any positive, you know, so so therefore when you have this very underpositioned in you know, the market, it tends to be uh, less correlated to the global market. And the Chinese liquidity cycle is not correlated to the global market. And therefore I think the Chinese asset will be uncorrelated to the to the global market. Um, you know, um, and uh, based on our readings, you know, we think, uh, we think, and also obviously we can talk about the valuations. Um, Chinese, you know, stocks valuations are very cheap. 
Um, and uh, I think if China have um, continued to have economic weakness, which is already in the price, um, it's more kind of a geopolitical discount uh, for the Chinese asset. Um, I would say there is always permanent discount. I do not think that uh, you know this discount will be reversed. I think there will be always discount, but it's just depending how deep is the discount, and uh, and whether this discount will become less or more. Um, in other words, the discount, the, the kind of the direction of this, right? So if I look at the recent uh, kind of um, relationship between the U.S. and China, I think both sides want to basically ease the tension a little bit. I do not think that they will return to the same kind of a good relationship they have before. Uh, and if anything, I think in the long run, they will deteriorate further. However, in the short run, and meaning one year, two years horizon, uh, I do think they are trying to avoid uh, the relationship fall off. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, Taiwan also is, you know, gonna have an election. And depending on the election result, uh, the tension between China and uh, uh, between the between between China uh, and the Taiwan, the mainland and Taiwan, you know, the relationship uh, could uh, could improve, and that will ease the geopolitical premium as well. So, if I thinking all this together, um, I do see short term catalyst for the re-rating of the Chinese asset. Now, having said that, from the longer term, uh, I am um, I'm hesitating uh, to, to you know to be bullish on Chinese asset. Uh, mainly it's because several things, but I think the most important thing here is that I think what have helped Chinese economy and also you know help Chinese economy is really the market-based economies that they have been doing. Uh, and uh, looks like they have reversed that. And if this trend continue, then I do not think it's going to be good, right? And obviously, if it reverse back to you know more market-based economy, then I will be more bullish again. Uh, and uh, um, from the, you know, there was a structure, you know, issues, people discussing about aging populations uh, and also the uh, the housing, uh, you know, burst of a housing bubble, the housing sec sector, um, which I do acknowledge that they are a, 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 a burden and they are a problem and the structure reasons. And by the way, we have a point in this out. Um, I would say, you know, Quite some time ago, seven or eight years ago, right? Uh, anticipate these things, but uh, but on the other side, we do not think there will be financial crisis there. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, we think that uh, the housing, the burst of housing bubble, if handled properly, can redirect the capital into more productive sectors, um, because we do not think the housing sector is the productive sectors for for the capitals. Um, and if anything, it constrains consumer spending. And prevent them from, um, you know, transition from uh, fixed asset uh, economy into consumption uh, economy. So, um, you know, um, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say here is, I think from the, you know, short term in the next, you know, three to, I don't know, maybe it can last, you know, ten months, twelve months. I do not know how long this can last, and uh, but I see a good chance, right? That the Chinese asset may have a re-rating. Uh, in the long run, uh, I am not. Uh, I am not that optimistic because of the structural uh, reasons that I um, that I talk about. Um, you know that I mentioned before. Okay. Thank you.
So let's return to your high-level outlook for the economy and asset prices. What could make you revise your opinion? I, what are the particular risks to which your outlook is exposed, Jim? Right. So I think our underlying, if you look at our, our underlying drivers, and typically these are monetary policy, physical policies, and liquidities, right? Um, if anything of this changes, and then we will change. From the monetary policy perspective, all right. Say, you know, let's say you know if a, you know if the Fed tomorrow just say you know cut interest rate by a few hundred basis point and start QE, and obviously our you know we will change our view, and this is going to be different. And of or, or if the, uh, the administration announced a trillion of uh, of of uh, physical stimulus, right? I'm just exaggerating. I'm just saying, give you a sense that uh, if things change, then then we have to change. Um, and uh, and we want to, you know, obviously you need to see how big it is, how long is it going to last, whether this can last a long time or maybe a few months, a few months, you know, etc. Right. So and also liquidities, right? We discussed that as well. Um, we have some anticipations, but uh, a lot of time, I would say last year, a lot of things happened that is, you know, completely un unexpected, and uh, you know, we only know that once they announce, right? And we have to adjust. Um, but uh, but from from the monetary policy perspective, I think for the Fed to proactively ease, this very probability is very low. I think, you know, can the Fed cut the interest rate and do the QE? Yes, they will do that once the stock goes down 20, 30, 40% and uh, we're in recession. Yes, they will do that, but not before that, right? Um, and then for the fiscal policy, I mean, that is a bigger uncertainty. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, this is already unusual time last year when the inflation was running high like this, right? And uh, you have uh, Bidenomic fiscal stimulus at the same time Fed was, uh, Fed was the uh, tightening financial uh, conditions, right? Uh, and we discussed this, you know, we, dis we discussed this situation during our, you know, fiscal and uh, monetary policy discussion, uh, that episode. I think, you know, listeners can listen to that. Um, and this is the election year. We are coming up with the election year in 2024. Uh, if at the beginning of next year, we have a big decline of SF stock prices and a big uptick of unemployment rate, uh, will Biden try, will the administration try to do something? I think they will try. Will they be successful? I doubt because of the current, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, political uh, situation and the Congress makeup, right? Um, but, uh, but we, we, you know, we will watch that. And uh, as time goes, right? And if the recession doesn't come sooner, <laughs> and it just keep linking around, and uh, then the election risk start to emerge, uh, you know, sometime later in 2024, and uh, if Trump get, you know, is leading the poll, uh, and obviously his policy is going to pro spending, and uh, you know, so you can you can expect big fiscal stimulus coming coming out of that. At the same time, uh, he probably want the stock price to go higher, you know how to do that. You cannot have a higher rates, so you probably will pressure the Federal Reserve as well. So, so you basically have, um, you know, you already, you know, the MMT is uh, <laughs> is is already emerging, right? As soon as his post are to to leave, well, how fast that will be priced the market? How that is going against the um, the predominant trend? Which is still in place is that tightened monetary policy and the fading physical policy is resulting, um, you know, is resulting is putting the pressure for the financial asset and the also economy, versus 
the anticipation of potentially, you know, uh, Trump win with the um, with the fiscal policy and uh, and largely monetized by the central bank again, uh, and how fast that will start to to be priced in. And I would say that's the biggest uncertainty, which we do not have an answer right now. We have to, you know, we have to navigate through that thought process um, and going through that and look looking at. But but we certainly keep that in mind. And obviously, all the geopolitical things that will impact our discussion about the U.S. and China, the commodity price, and etc. So so that's something that we we have some visibility, but we cannot. Um, but we have. Um, you know, it's very foggy. Let's put it. Let's put it this way. Okay, thank you. Well, I think we have now come to the end of episode eight of Total Convexity. So let me try and summarize. Now, Jim, you believe that we're inching towards the end of the current market cycle, and based on our indicators, a recession could be imminent. You also argue that if events unravel as we are expecting them to do. We have probably reached the terminal rate of the current, writing, uh, current hiking cycle. In this environment, you believe that uh, US rates and uh, Treasury securities present the best risk reward trade off. You also think there is an elevated risk for equities to experience a significant drawdown next year, and you expect the correlation between stocks and bonds to return to be negative. Typically, the dollar rallies once the Fed pauses rate, rate hikes. However, you think that the US dollar is poised to rally during a risk-off environment. Finally, gold also typically rallies once the Fed stops hiking rates. However, gold may suffer if there is a liquidity squeeze in the financial markets. Given your outlook for a recession, you think there is more downside than upside for industrial commodities, but the geopolitical situation can have a short-term impact on both gold and oil prices. You will change your views if the underlying macro forces change, because the policymakers can extend or shorten the expected downturn. You believe that the Fed is unlikely going to ease in the absence of a recession or material asset price declines. 2024 is an election year, as we all know, and you will be watching the fiscal response closely. The fiscal situation could become highly uncertain, depending on who ultimately becomes the next US president. And this is something that we will discuss in a separate episode. Was this a fair summary, Jim? Um, that's a very good summary, Herrick. Uh, so let's, um, let's end here uh, and tell us where listeners can follow us. Okay, so you can follow us by searching for Total Convexity in your favorite podcast apps or via YouTube. And don't forget to click on the subscription button so that you will be automatically notified when the new episode is available. You can also follow us on X, where we have the handle at Total Convexity. And you can email us at totalconvexity at gmail.com. Finally, you can follow our insights on Substack and that would be totalconvexity.substack.com. We promise never to spam you or to provide any type of advertising or marketing. And the only thing that we'll do is to try and give you our honest take on the markets. We'll be right, we'll be wrong, but we'll try and make it short and sweet. 
Anything else, Jim? Uh, oh, by the way, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Um, that's right. Yeah, so thank, thank you, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. Uh, if you like this podcast, um, we would appreciate if you can pass along to anyone who may be interested. And this concludes the eighth episode of our podcast, Total Complexity. See you next time. Disclaimer, the information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial professional before making any financial decisions. All investments involve risks. There are no guarantees of profits and investments may incur losses. The contents discussed in this podcast is not a recommendation for any specific investment. Past performance does not predict future results. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are their own and may not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts or affiliated parties. The podcast host and guests may have financial interests in companies or products discussed, and listeners should be aware that the opinions expressed by guests and their hosts may reflect biases. We strive for accuracy, but financial information can change rapidly. The content may not always be up to date or complete, so verify information independently. This podcast does not offer legal or regulatory advice, and listeners are responsible for ensuring that their financial decisions comply with applicable laws and regulations. Mentions of specific financial products or services do not constitute endorsements. Perform your due diligence before engaging with any financial offering. Listeners are fully responsible for their financial decisions, and the podcast's guests, hosts, and affiliated entities are not liable for any financial losses resulting from actions taken on based on the provided contents.